will give Timothy uh, that really is about bold living, just being bold in our faith and what we believe in. And so our, our prayer has been two things. One, that you are challenged, and two, that you are equipped. So that's what we want to see happen. We want you to take notes. We want you to write things down because if you claim the name of Jesus, you have a personal relationship with him, you're called to live a bold life. And we're going to talk about that specifically about what he's given you in order to do that uh, this evening. So let's just talk a little bit about 2 Timothy here. Um, who is this letter written to? Timothy, thank you. Who wrote this letter? Where do you think Paul wrote this letter from? Prison. Good. Where, at, where was he in prison at? Rome. Okay. Does anybody have any idea what year he would have wrote this in? AD 64 to 65, okay? So I'm giving you some background information, all right? Here's what you need to know about this. 2 Timothy is solely about a bold and clear call for perseverance in the gospel despite suffering. Paul implored Timothy to continue to fight the fight of faith, okay? So this whole letter is about Timothy, you fight the fight of faith. You don't give up, you do this. This letter is very personal. It's so personal that he calls Timothy out to live out his faithfulness in the gospel, but he basically says, and you should follow my life and what I've done too. So it's a very personal letter. The first two verses of chapter 1, which we're not going to read, okay, it's a standard way that, open Paul, all, he, that Paul opens up all of his letters. So if you were to read all of Paul's letters in the New Testament, it's a very standard kind of opening, Okay. Then he follows that in verses 3 through 5 with a word of thanksgiving about Timothy and about Timothy's family. And then he jumps right into verse 6, okay? And so let's read verses 6 through 14. And then we'll, i got four things I want you to walk away with here, okay? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what, ha what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. All right, so the four, here, the four points will be on the screens. The first one is this. You have to use your gift, okay? What is the word gift? If you've been on Sunday mornings, you've heard our pastor talk over the last few weeks about spiritual gifts. This is what it is. He's talking about spiritual gifts. He's not talking about one particular gift. He's just, in essence, telling Timothy, the gift that God has given you, you need to use it. You need to make use of it. These gifts, if they're not used, okay, 
they, they tend to lose the strength and the ability that they have. And so what he wanted him to do was, listen, you have a responsibility as a leader, Timothy, to use the gift that God has given you. What is the gift? If we were to go through the list of gifts, it could be everything from teaching and preaching to encouragement, right, to faith. Whatever gift that God has given you, or in this case, what he's given Timothy, you're to use it. And it's a gift, this gift is like a fire, as you can see in verse 6. And the fire is this. How many of you guys have ever, you know, been around a campfire? How do you keep a campfire going? You kind of, kind of got a little fanning in there, you put some more wood in there, and you keep it going. What happens if you don't put any more wood in there, you don't attend to it? What happens to it? It dies out and it becomes what? Ash, right? It becomes ashes. Now listen, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, God gives you a spiritual gift to be used for his glory and for his purpose. And when you don't use that gift, and it's not used, and you don't fan it into flame, you could lose it. Or it would be worthless, right? And so what he tells Timothy right off the bat is this. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. And he mentions that the laying on of hands, and basically what that is, is that there was a time in which Timothy was being ordained to ministry, being set apart for ministry, that Paul laid his hands upon him and prayed over him as he began his public ministry. And what this, in essence, is saying to you today is this. If you believe in Jesus and have a personal relationship with him, he's given you a gift or gifts, and you should be fanning that into flame and using it in the world around you. Now, verse 7 is connected to verse 6 because it's, this is the second point, that you're to trust the Lord. And here's why. In, in verse 7, the word for, it connects the two together so that we know that they go together. And here's how we know that they go together. For God gave us a spirit. Here's the spirit. It, it doesn't mean a human spirit. It means the Holy Spirit. In fact, if we were to probably go back, you could actually put a capital S on there because what he's referring to is that God gave you the Holy Spirit. And when he gave you the Holy Spirit, we know that this is, this is what he's speaking about because of this. The word for ties it to verse 6, and the fact that gift and spirit are used in the same sentence, in essence, that's how Paul used gift and spirit, the Holy Spirit, all throughout his letters and his writings. We also know that the words power and love were a part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this verse fits perfectly, verse 6 and 7 fit perfectly together, and we see the explanation, because Paul urges Timothy to fan into the flame the gift of God that he was given by the Holy Spirit. Because when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells inside of you, and that's how you get the gift that he's given you. And so Timothy was to exercise his spirit-given gifts for ministry with the power, love, and self-discipline that God has given him by the Holy Spirit. And now this is where the trust part comes in, that we're to trust God. Because what does it say? For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. Now students, fear here refers to one who flees from battle. I, I am, I mean, you guys know this, I'm scared of the dark, I don't like to, I, I've never fought anybody in my life, there was maybe two instances in upper middle school where somebody wanted to meet me at a park to fight, and I never showed up, okay, because listen, I fleed from that battle, I wanted nothing to do with that, it was, I was full on fear, okay, but listen, fear here refers to one who flees from battle, has a strong movement towards cowardice. 
it is not possible, listen, it is not possible for the Holy Spirit to be living inside of you for you to receive a cowardice quality. Now this is important because in the world that you're living in today, some of you are afraid to even tell your closest friends that you believe in Jesus. Some of us are are not willing to speak up when we know we need to speak up about something because that might expose that we have a relationship with Jesus and that obviously is not going to be a favor in this room that I'm here today. And what we learn from this passage of Scripture is this, that when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, He doesn't give you the quality of fear. In fact, it says, how do we fight fear? We fight fear with God's promises. God promises to be with him, protect him, use him, bring people into the kingdom. If you're to read all of Paul's letters, any of them that he wrote to, these are the themes that are in there. Paul was constantly reminding people that God is with you, he will protect you, and he will use you. We fight fear with the promises of God, and God's spirit empowers us to accomplish the mission of God. Because of this, the Holy Spirit doesn't make men and women shrink from their duty when tempted to do so. So when you're faced with an opportunity to stand up for Jesus or for what you believe in or to share the gospel with somebody, the Holy Spirit doesn't give you the ability to shrink in that moment. No, he gives you the power in your weakness to stand up. And that is why Timothy te- or Paul tells Timothy here, listen, you have not been given a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of self-control. Oswald Chambers, any of you guys ever heard him? By the way, if you ever look for a devotional booklet to read through, he has, Oswald Chambers has some thoughts that you can read through uh, for every day of the year. Stay well known as this. This is what he said. God uses nobody because their unusual dependence upon him makes it possible for the unique display of his power and grace. Do you feel weak, timid, inadequate, even though you actually want to serve God? You really desire to serve God, but you feel weak, you feel timid, you're a little bit scared, you're nervous. Listen, great, you're the perfect candidate. You know why you're the perfect candidate and why God desires to use you? Because in your weakness, he makes himself known. Some of you will never be able to stand in front of a group of people and talk like this. But I know people who have never been able to do that, but I've watched God do that in, because in their weakness, he made himself known through them, because they're fully dependent upon him. See, love, or let me say this, uh, boldness is the mark of the Holy Spirit, not being a coward. So you want to know if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, one of the markers that you can say is, am I bold when it comes to my faith? Am I willing to stand out in this? And then the, that's the whole power aspect that we see here in power and love. The love is this. Love is about service for others and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not about, this is not about a feeling of love. This is about a choice. That I'm going to choose to love other people through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. That I'm going to lay down my life in order for people to know the love and goodness and, and grace of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that weeks ago when we talked about serving others, right? That it's not about us, 
It, this, this love that's on display that Paul's imploring Timothy to practice is about laying your life down for other people. And then self-control. Listen, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be self-controlled, to be self-disciplined, to be kind of in control of ourselves because he's living inside of us. I don't know about you, but uh, there was a time in Ada when uh, Laura and I were there. We didn't have any kids. We had a dog. And I, some of you might have heard this story. I was on the couch watching a football game. It was late. I fell asleep but decided to get up. We went to bed. Probably around 12 o'clock, 1230. I just had fallen asleep. But after I let the dog in, I didn't close the back door all the way. We had an alarm on our house, and so guess what happened? The wind, the wind blew in Oklahoma like it always does, and that door flew open. And so what happened? That alarm went off. I got fearful, jumped out of bed. I'd only been asleep for like 30 minutes, just enough to kind of hit the deep sleep moment. I was spinning around in the room, screaming, hey, 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 hey while Laura is headed down the hallway to take care of whatever's happening in our house. Okay? We can laugh at that and say this, but here's the deal. In that moment, I lost all self-control when I was freaking out. I didn't know where I was at in the room. I, I mean, I lost all ability to be in control of myself in that moment. Laura, on the other hand, through the Holy Spirit and boldness and power and love and self-control, she was going to take care of it. And to this day, she still does that. So, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. She, she's not fearful of anything. So I am, okay? But here's what we know is this. All of us have been gifted gifts that are to be used for ministry. And we've been given those gifts by the Holy Spirit, which enables us to have power and love and self-control, not fear. Now, students, this is super important. Because Paul knew what Timothy's gifts were. But he also knew that he was weak and timid and scared and nervous. And so he said, you fan those gifts fully into flame and you stand up and be bold and trust the Lord and use the gifts that God's given you. See, most of you in this room, the call that God might be placing upon your life would look something like this for you to use your gifts right where you are is that you might help on a Sunday morning with worship or tech needs. You might greet people as they walk into the church and say, hey, how are you doing? We're glad you're here. How can I serve you today? You might stand with a sign out in the parking lot to welcome people onto our campus. You might teach and lead in other ministry areas, like in the children's ministry or leading a discipleship group or whatever it is. But it's just a simple thing that, God, that what, Tim, what Paul's reminding Timothy to do, we remind you to do. Use the gifts that he's given you. Teenagers are big-time consumers. You receive a lot from a lot of people. You take a lot from your parents and from teachers and from other adults. But God didn't save you so that you could keep receiving from people. He saved you so that you could use your gifts for his glory and for his purpose. Like I was in this room praying this afternoon, and this is something I thought of. What if in all this COVID craziness, we had to relocate out of the student building and move us over here to this big, empty room that we've kind of makeshift into a student building. What if you moved us over here because God actually intended for you to be a part of filling this up with people? Because he wanted you in this culture 
to use your gifts, to trust him, to not be ashamed, and to guard the deposit he's given you so that you can share the gospel with other people so that they might come into this room. And listen, you guys have started doing a great job. Over 100 students have visited this student ministry. Think about that. That's remarkable. Use your gifts for his glory and for his purpose. Here's the, other, here's the third point. Don't be, don't be ashamed. So when we jump down to verse 8 through 12, uh, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Listen, you cannot be ashamed of Jesus Christ. You have to embrace the passion of Polycarp, this guy who was way back in the day years ago. He refused to announce Christ in the face of execution. This is what he declared. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he never did me any injury. So how then could I blaspheme my king and my savior? In the face of death, says, no way will I be ashamed of Jesus. Just go ahead and kill me. We had this conversation in our discipleship group on Sunday night about being bold in our faith. You know that wide is the gate that leads to destruction, narrow is the life, narrow is the path that leads to life. Well, listen, we have a responsibility to stand up for what we believe in, even when it goes against what everybody else is doing. Today, you have many worldviews in our culture that compete and conflict with what biblical, what the biblical and Christian worldview states. Despite the latest trends, views, and opinions of our culture, we cannot bend. You cannot be ashamed of it. You should not be ashamed of Jesus, and you shouldn't be ashamed of his teachings. Listen, many people will mock Jesus, but we are required to stand with him and his word and let whatever happens to us happen to us. I had this conversation with my in-laws and Laura this week, that if it ever got to a point in America that I would be arrested for my, what I believed in, that I would be separated from my family. I looked Laura square in the eyes and said, as much as I love you and our boys, I love Jesus more. And if I had to be separated from you for the name of Jesus' sake, that's what would happen. Now listen, that's hard. Some of you you're just a little bit uncomfortable about knowing Jesus around your friends that you don't even want to say his name. But guess what? That same fear that exists in you and I in those situations, look, we already know from Scripture that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of self-control. So don't be ashamed. And why shouldn't we be ashamed? Because, listen, when we, when we are not ashamed... We can expect that suffering will happen. Timothy was to stand tall and freely to choose to suffer with the great apostle. Oswald Chambers goes on to say this, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. However, to choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint or no healthy believer ever chooses suffering. But he does choose God's will, as Paul did, whether it means suffering or not. I don't know about you, but Jesus is enough for me, and if following Jesus means that persecution will be inevitable at some point in my life, then I'll take, I'll take going that road, because 
Suffering because you're a believer in the name of Jesus is a privilege that's been granted to you, and it's a blessing that's been promised to you. That's what Scripture teaches us. And so what is it that we're not supposed to be ashamed of? Well, verses 8 through 10 basically lay out the gospel for us. Paul's arguing here that this testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth suffering, that Jesus is enough, and we're able to endure hardship and suffering because of Jesus, that we can abide in him, that we can remain in him, and that we can rely in him. So when you suffer for Jesus, remember that you have the privilege of sharing in his sufferings and enjoying the special power that he gives. And listen very closely. Jesus is more reliable and desirable than any other thing in this world. Jesus is more reliable and desirable than anything else in this world. Some of you right now, I can see you. If you're not taking notes on your phone, then you're texting on your phone. But some of you think that this is the most reliable thing in your life. Because this is what connects me to everybody that I need to connect with. Some of you have a des- have you think that this thing is way more desirable, but I'm going to tell you this, there is nothing in this world that would be more reliable or desirable than Jesus. And so when Paul says that don't be ashamed of this testimony, that's what he's referring to as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what the gospel is. If you read in verse 9, who saved us? God saves us, we call this salvation. How does he save us? He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, to lay down his life for us, so that anyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. Here's the second thing he does for us. And he called us to a holy calling. What do we call this? We call it sanctified. That God sanctifies us. That he calls us to holy living. It's a process of sanctification. It's a huge word that basically means this. That when Jesus met you on the day of salvation, he never intended you to leave you like that. He wants you to make you more like him. And so he starts this process from the moment of your conversion to the day that you breathe your last breath on earth of making you more like him. And the process of sanctification is hard, it's difficult, and it's a process. And then if you go down here to the end of verse 10, and it says, who abol- that our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, this is what happens, that God glorifies us. God promises us that we will live with him forever, that we will live in a glorified state connected with him. So God rescues us, he makes us more like him, and he assures us that we will never die. That's a good gospel message. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy to not be ashamed of. And why does God do this? For his purpose and his grace, as the text tells us. Salvation is not by your own works, students. Some of you are in here and think, if I go to church and I'm good and I don't say these words and if I listen to Christian music and if I do all of these good things, then I will be saved. Like, God will save me because I do all of these good things. It's a backward way to look at this. It is God who saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is important because there is a line of thinking in your world that is works-based. The more you do the more God shows favor on you, and that you'll go to heaven when you die. But Christians know this, that God does not owe you or I anything. We deserve judgment because we are sinners, separated from him because of our own sinful actions. And you and I, our only hope is for grace. We have no power to make ourselves right with God. 
We have to have saving grace. But listen, when we experience that saving grace, there is great freedom and joy in our salvation. I, you, when you experience God's salvation, there is great freedom and joy. There's something deep that's brought with it. Because your salvation is rooted in Jesus Christ and his work. And listen, this is what Paul was to be appointed a preacher and a teacher and an apostle of. And really it's what he's called and crafted you to do as well. And this, Paul was the one who would sound forth the evangel, the greatest news ever told. He was the one that was sent with a specific commission from God to go take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was a teacher who outlined the great doctrines of our faith that we read about in the New Testament. All of these he marvels as a privilege and worthy of suffering for. Remember, students, we will suffer for the gospel when we proclaim it. And listen, if there's one thing that you walk out of here tonight with, it's this. You cannot simply live the gospel out in works. It is essential to speak the gospel in words. You cannot just live like a Christian. You are going to have to speak the gospel in words. I think it's really easy for Christians to say, well, we need to, we need to look like Jesus so that they'll see Jesus in us. Yes, that's true. But if you never open up your mouth and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, then how on earth can anybody be saved? That's what Romans 10 tells us. How will they hear if no one's been sent to them? And, how, and if, if someone's sent to them, how will they hear if no one preaches to them? We have a responsibility to communicate the gospel, and that's what Paul, that's what Paul refers to as here. Listen, I was appointed a preacher and a teacher and an apostle. I'm going to tell you what you were appointed to when you said yes to Jesus. To be a disciple maker, in order to be a disciple maker, you have to, you have to proclaim the gospel. Because listen, you've been given that deposit, which is the fourth point, guard the deposit. Paul says in the scripture, I know whom I believe. He knew, what he, he knew who he believed in, and therefore he wasn't ashamed. He wrote much about whom, who he believed in, that he had no doubt, only confidence in his relationship with God. He was so confident that God would be able to guard Paul's life and the gospel message that he carried. God is able to guard the gospel which was entrusted to Paul and even to us today. This gives us confidence that in God, we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel, that we can be bold in proclaiming it, and declaring it. Paul had confidence that God would guard his life and his commitment to the gospel. The word guard is a picture of a soldier on watch. God is watching his gospel message, and no one can overpower him. If the American government decided to shut down churches all across this world, do you think that the gospel message would stop? No. Because God can't be controlled by human hands. Paul knew that God was not only guarding his life, but that because of his protection of the gospel would, be per, would, would persevere and spread in the future. John Stott, a great theologian, said this, we may see the evangelical faith, the faith that you and I believe in, the faith of the gospel. We may see everywhere that it's spoken against and that the message of the New Testament will be ridiculed. We may have to watch an increasing apostasy in the church as generations abandon the faith of its fathers. Do not be afraid, though. God will never allow the light of the gospel to be finally extinguished. True, he has committed it to you and I, frail and fallible creatures. 
He's placed his treasures in brittle earthen vessels. And listen, we've got to play our part in guarding and defending the truth, but we nevertheless, in entrusting the deposit to our hands, he has not taken his hands off of it either. But listen, we got a responsibility in that work to hold on to that gospel message and to make sure people get it. Some of you are in the largest mission field you'll ever be in. You have the most influence over friends that you see the most people you'll ever see right now. And God's placed you in the middle of that, and he's entrusted you with the deposit of the gospel because he wants you to share the gospel with your friends. And listen, I know, I know four young people who are no longer living today. You are not promised eternity. Sorry, you're not promised to live on this earth forever. If you know Jesus, you're promised eternity. But you're not promised to be invincible. Some of your classmates need the gospel message, and you have a responsibility to tell them about Jesus. God put you in their life on your street, on your team, in your band for that purpose. And so what Paul's imploring Timothy is he's imploring you too is this. Listen. Use the gifts that God's given you. Trust him. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And guard what the, that deposit and make sure that other people get the good news of Jesus Christ. And how do, we de- how do we guard this good deposit? By the Holy Spirit. We can stand and proclaim because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Timothy was not, to be, was not to be ashamed. He was to share in suffering. He was fo- to follow the pattern that Paul had set for them, and he was to guard the good deposit. And how was he going to do all of this? The Holy Spirit. God is with us, in us, and for us. So who can be against us? Students, in the hostile culture, God wants his people to rise up. Use the gifts that he's given them. Trust God, not be ashamed of him, and to guard the deposit that he's entrusted you. So let me tell you a story to end. The story's found on a website called Revolution by two twin brothers. But here's a story of two twin girls named Megan and Mandy. They were graduating high school on a Friday. Megan had been selected to conduct a prayer during the ceremony. Friday morning, a federal judge issued an order barring Russell County High School and Megan in particular from conducting the prayer during the commencement. With graduation just around the corner and her entire life ahead of her, Megan was faced with a difficult choice. Can you imagine how you would feel to read your name in a federal lawsuit filed by the ACLU? As Megan wrestled with her decision, Mandy began to formulate a plan of her own. At 4 p.m., only three hours before the graduation ceremony, Megan received a phone call from an organization devoted to protecting religious freedom. And the founder and chairman was on the phone. His name was Matt Stavery. He told Megan, they they would be behind her every step of the way and counseled her that God can turn an apparent adversity into a great opportunity when we're willing to trust and obey him. Only a few hours later, 3,000 people packed into the Russell County High School gym to watch 200 high school seniors graduate. As the principal finished his opening remarks, the senior class suddenly suddenly stood up as one body and began to recite the Lord's Prayer. Before they could finish, the audience erupted in thunderous applause, some students too overcome with emotion to finish. But the statement had been made, they would not bow down to the ACLU. Then, 
Megan came to the podium, prepared to deliver a secular poem called The Road Less Traveled. But when she looked out at the large audience and at the hundreds of seniors who had just completed the Lord's Prayer, she asked God to give her a message, and this is what she said to God in, in prayer. You did not put me here to recite a poem, Lord. Putting aside what she prepared, she spoke from her heart. She shared how God had led her when she was a child. She spoke of the peace that comes from giving her life to Jesus. And listen, she wished her classmates the same peace through a relationship with Jesus. Again and again, the speech was interrupted with applause and punctuated by several standing ovations. The newspaper reporter covering the event described it as this. Listen closely, students. The evening was like a revival-like atmosphere. To, to the complete dismay of the ACLU, in trying to silence a prayer at the beginning of a graduation, they had sparked a revival. Mr. Staver called her a few days later and voiced a voice that sounded like Megan's answered the phone. Megan, he asked. No, this is Mandy, her twin sister. The voice replied. Mandy, he found out, was the one who orchestrated the, rest, the, the, re, the stating of the Lord's Prayer, distributing bookmarks with a copy of the prayer in case anyone forgot the words. So what do we learn from Megan and Mandy? Well, I see who a, a God who's in complete control brought Megan and Mandy with an, that, sorry, Megan and Mandy were brought an unwelcome test, right, the ACLU, the lawsuit, but they were rewarded for their obedience almost immediately with this revival-like atmosphere, being faithful to share the gospel. And then he gave them a platform to share the gospel because they were also interviewed on Fox News and CNN. I hope that Megan and Mandy's story will inspire you students to take a radical stand for Christ. Trusting firmly in God's goodness, whatever the outcome might be, my prayer is that your generation would count the cost and stand anyway. Use your gifts, trust God, don't be ashamed of him, and guard the deposit of the gospel that he's given you, and do your, the work he's called you to do right now. Let's pray. Hey, we'll sing a song to close, and then we'll go into live Q&A. You have that little piece of uh, paper at the bottom here, and this is, this is what I want you to do with this. There's a couple of options that you can do. The first is this. If you just need us to pray for you about something, write your prayer request and share it on there. You can see that box on there. If you want to talk about tonight's message, I'm, I think there's a box related to that that you can mark. But there's a box on there that says, I have personally trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're in this room and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, therefore you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you don't have a gift, much of this message doesn't make sense to you, but you know for a fact that you want to trust Jesus and you want to be a bold witness for him. You have a chance right now to mark that box. Write your name on it, and when you turn it in, we, one of us staff members will get a hold of you tonight. You put a phone number down that we can reach you at, and we will call you tonight, and we'll talk about this decision. If you can't wait to do that, there'll be adults standing at the back while we're singing. You just move your way back to the back and you talk to them and say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. But I'm going to guess the majority of this, of this room is going to claim that they have a relationship with Christ. Before you stand and sing, I want you to pray two things. God, help me with the Holy Spirit be bold in my witness to use the gift that I've given you 
to guard the deposit of the gospel and to trust in you. And then I want you to pray for people that are in your life that need that gospel message. That maybe even before you put your head on the pillow tonight, you've reached out to them and engaged them and asked them about their faith and about their spiritual life. Jesus, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you'd speak to the hearts of students. For any student that wants to give their life to you, that they'd find an adult at the back, that they'd check that box. Father, that they would trust you with their life, that they would surrender their life to you. Believing that you rescue us, that you change us and mold us into your image, and that God, one day we'll live with you forever. Father, for the majority of these other students who claim to have a relationship with you, God, I pray that you'd raise up a generation of bold Christians, willing to proclaim the gospel, not hiding behind relationships or gospel works, but God, speaking the words of life to people. Father, I pray that you'd overwhelm their minds right now with people that you have surrounded them with that need to hear this gospel message. And that you'd be glorified in our worship.